Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Jesus has a name. Episode 9. Call upon his name. Yahweh Nisi. I want to begin this episode reminding us of our theme in this study. If we call on his name, we will be saved. For there is much power in the name when it is accompanied by faith. For it is by believing that we will have life in the power of his name. By way of summary, we have learned that faith is not just about a belief in the truth. It is about actively believing the truth until it becomes our personal truth. This is how we experience his power and his life. But this sort of active belief requires a work of the Holy Spirit. Accordingly, We must be willing to dig down deep in our soul and choose to let the Holy Spirit cause us to be believing, cause us to bet our lives on the name of God as he has revealed it to us. Our burden to carry is that we must be willing. The rest is up to him. The grace of God always requires our permission so as not to violate our personal sovereignty. But then everything else, all the work, is 100% the responsibility of the Holy Spirit as he causes us to be believing and to be confessing that Jesus is Yahweh. To be willing, however, we must be inclined to let go of the demands we have for God to behave towards us as we want, and instead choose to let him have his way with our lives. Scary as that may be, we can do this because we are his precious possession. And his obsessive goal for our lives is that we be transformed into the image of the Son such that he literally lives in and through our lives as we live in and through his. We have termed this the design point. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. All he does in our lives, including the war, he must wage against everything within us that refuses to believe that he is our I am, is towards this one purpose. And all things, yes, all things cooperate with him in the singular purpose of affecting the design point. We have also learned that being saved is not about going to heaven, though ultimately it will include that journey. Rather, it's about a systematic act of war that is waged against our flesh, our old sinful nature, until it is crucified and slowly bled of all its pride, fear, and shame, this trifecta of darkness. And Yahweh is free to reign over our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It may seem ironic, but there is life through death, death to our flesh. And those who die will know unrestrained freedom in Christ, where there is no law, no condemnation, and no fear of punishment, just the freedom to love with God's agape love. That is the pathway to knowing him as he wants to be known. And with each area of our life in which he wages war, we will be confronted with the opportunity to know why we can trust ourselves to his name and how to trust ourselves to his name, such that we experience and know him as our 
I am. Our complete sufficiency and provision for all things all the time. That is what the pain and the suffering is all about. It is giving us the opportunity to learn these precious truths. But it is only an opportunity. We still must be willing to let the Holy Spirit cause us to be believing. This understanding of life through death may have been hidden from your understanding, but Yahweh has not spoken in secret in some dark land. Rather, he has declared things that are upright and good, for he has revealed to us his name. And if we call on his name, we will be saved, for there is much power in the name when it is accompanied by faith. All throughout the first eight episodes, we studied the name Yahweh Adonai, as this name was woven tightly into our overall understanding of the name Yahweh. His name is Yahweh, and his role is that of Adonai, the sovereign or Lord. He is Lord of all and the Lord over all, the only sovereign. Hence, one of his titles is the Lord of Lords. Now, with that information all tucked away in our minds and hopefully our hearts, we are going to explore a name that at first might seem a bit odd, and it might leave us unsure as to how this name practically functions in terms of providing us power. But as we go through some of the other names in future episodes, we'll refer to this name, and it will all start to make sense. So please keep that in mind. Our banner, Yahweh Nisi. Yahweh, our refuge or our token, or literally our banner and rallying place. In short, Yahweh Nisi is the one we are to run to when trouble nears. He is the one we gather around when the enemy seeks to devour us. He is the one we cling to when everyone else has left and abandoned us. In Yahweh Nisi, we safely hide in the shadow of his wings until destruction passes by. And in the shadow of his wings, we sing for joy, for he covers us with his feathers, and under his wings, we seek refuge. For his faithfulness, is our armor and protection. Yahweh Nisi is the one we hold high as our token or banner, always identifying our lives with this name. Now, in the days when Israel left Egypt and they were marching towards the promised land, they divided into groups by tribal clans. Each tribe carried a banner or a standard which identified their peculiar tribe. For instance, Judah's banner had a lion and the banner of the tribe of Naphtali had a gazelle. As they traveled, especially during times of war, each person went out according to their tribal banner. It uniquely identified them. The clan moved when the banner moved, and during times of war, when things got crazy and scary, they rallied together at the banner. They could be in a terrible fight, but when they would see their banner, they knew there was hope. They understood that if they could get to their banner, they would be safe and would find refuge and help with the others in their own tribal group. The banner became a source of hope and surety, a guarantee. Now, it was upon a victory in a great battle against the Amalekites in which Yahweh prophetically revealed this name through Moses. After the war, Moses raised up an altar and declared that God is Yahweh Nisi, my banner or token. It was a way of declaring that Yahweh is our place of refuge, our rallying place where we gather for hope and assured victory. Moses knew that it was Yahweh who won the battle for the Israelites, and it was only because of Yahweh that their fierce enemies were defeated. Thus, in stating that Yahweh is his banner, Moses was declaring for himself and on behalf of the nation Israel 
that they are fully and completely identified by Yahweh as belonging to his tribe. They fly the flag of Yahweh over their lives. Therefore, they can be assured that as they run and gather at their tribal standard, Yahweh Nisi, they will be safe because the living God goes before them in battle and leads them in victory. This is the confidence we can have in Yahweh Nisi. God goes before us and leads us in victory against our enemies. This is such a powerful name and that it goes to our very identity and all our associations. If we were honest, and today, if we were to raise a banner over our lives, displaying a picture or word to communicate to both those in the world and to all the unseen powers in the heavenly realms, what identifies our lives, what would it be? Fear? Pride? Shame? Emotions? Intellect? Practicality? Power? Authority? Control? Personal goodness? Religion? Or perhaps such things as bitterness, anger, hatred, murder, insecurity, victimhood, injustice, self-pity, self-love, narcissism, loneliness, depression, hopelessness, despair, division, drugs, alcohol, sexuality, serial relationships, eating disorders, passivity, resentment, abuse, violence, or the demonic. Sadly, these are the banners many of us fly. And these banners represent how we have chosen to identify ourselves. And they have become our rallying point and our place of refuge in trouble. Truth be told, our personal banners are indicators of the various coping mechanisms we utilize to manage and get through life. They represent our dependencies and where we place our hope. But Yahweh Nisi reminds us that if we run to our God and let him be our refuge, if we identify ourselves with him knowing that he is our victory, then all the enemies in our land, whether those enemies are in our soul or external, will know that Yahweh fights for us, through us, and that we will have victory, for he always leads us in triumph. It is just a matter of time. After all, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yahweh is the one who wins our battles, whether internal or external. However, we must be willing to run to him and fully identifying ourselves with him, raising his standard over our lives. If we keep identifying ourselves by our plethora of personal banners, then we will see little victory in our lives, and we will not know or experience the safety and security which only he can provide. The Promise of War When Moses built the altar and named it Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh is my banner, he said, Yahweh has sworn, Yahweh will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. This was a promise upon then, which we can bet our lives. Amalek will always be a target of God's wrath and vengeance from generation to generation. What is fascinating about this promise is that biblically, Amalek serves as a metaphor for our flesh, for our old sinful nature, the one who opposes God and blocks our path to freedom, the one who blocks our path to the promised land. Hence, God promises that he will, on our behalf, go to war against our flesh, against our Amalek, until the enemy is conquered from generation to generation, until we know unrestrained freedom. 
The founder of the Amalekites was a descendant, a grandson of Esau, one of the sons of Isaac, who himself was the son of Abraham. God declared in advance, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Clearly, from the get-go, this nation did not have a promising destiny. We also know that Esau became an immoral and godless person who even disrespected his birthright, his inheritance. As the oldest child, he treated it as common. In fact, he sold his birthright to his younger brother Jacob for a single meal. Regardless, Esau and his progeny, the Amalekites, serve as a biblical type of the flesh, a type of what God hates. The Spirit makes the point that God hated Esau even before he had done anything wrong. And I know this confuses many, but understand that God is big on typology. And despite Esau's godlessness, this hatred is about the typology and not so much the person. Accordingly, Esau's progeny, the Amalekites, carried the banner that declared to all that they opposed God. It was many years after Moses' encounter with the Amalekites that God commanded Saul, the first king of Israel, to destroy the Amalekites. For it was payback time for the battle they waged against Moses and the children of Israel when they were leaving Egypt on the way to the promised land, the time when God first revealed his name, Yahweh Nisi. Though many years had passed, it is always good to remember that Yahweh always keeps his promises. It is just a matter of time. 1 Samuel 15, 2-3 Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. King Saul went out to war. But he did not faithfully carry out the commands of Yahweh and did not utterly wipe out the Amalekites. As a result, Yahweh rejected him as king and appointed someone else who would be faithful to the commands of the Lord, which we later find out was David. Now, as for the typology of the Amalekites in our flesh, when God gave Saul a command to destroy the Amalekites, to wipe them from the face of the earth, and he refused, Surviving members of this tribe literally haunted the Israelites throughout their history. The point being that if we hold on to any parts of our flesh, cherishing it above the desires of Yahweh for our lives, our flesh will haunt us in ways that we will always regret. It always bites us in the proverbial butt when we least expect it. For instance, during the time that Saul remained king, a clan of the Amalekites attacked the villages in which David and his people were living, and they took everyone captive, women, children, and everyone, small and great, and they burned their cities to the ground. David and his men were not in the village when this happened. However, upon finding out about this attack, David and his men went after the Amalekites. They found them, they caught them, and they slaughtered them from twilight until the evening of the next day. And he recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, losing not one person. Unfortunately, 400 Amalekite men escaped on camel, so the saga would continue. But it is important to note that it was not due to the insolence of David. They just escaped. And there are times when God allows areas of our flesh to remain, for he has purposes for it that will only become clear later in our lives as he continues with his transformation of our lives 
and teaches us how to wage war against the enemies in our lives. Later, when it was time for King Saul to die, he led the Israelites into a fierce battle with the Philistines. Saul became wounded. He withdrew from battle and was found leaning on a spear, unable to fight. Next, an Amalekite, who by chance just happened to be in the area, struck Saul with a sword, killed him, and brought his crown to David. Of course, David in turn struck down the Amalekite for having raised a sword against Yahweh's anointed one. But once again, we find that if not dealt with, our flesh, our old sinful nature, our living Amalekite will literally take our lives. For like Amalek's founder Esau, our flesh despises our birthright as a son of the living God and despises all that we are destined to inherit, all that the Son of God inherits from the Father. And like David, Yahweh will strike down those Amalekites who lift the sword up against Yahweh's anointed. Throughout David's rule, which is a picture of our lives when they are ruled by the Spirit of Yahweh, the Amalekites seem to be subdued and to have fallen off the face of the earth as they no longer appear in any notable way. However, 542 years after David's kingdom, during the reign of the Medes and the Persians, during the, t- the time of Hadassah, also known as Esther, a man named Haman, an Agagite, was promoted to the role of what we would call the king's chief of staff. He was set in charge over all the provincial rulers of the empire. This man hated the Jews and secretly plotted to eradicate them all throughout the media Persian kingdom. His plan almost worked if it was not for the love this king had for his wife, Esther, a Jew. In the book of Esther, Haman's epithet as the Agagite indicates that he was a descendant of King Agag, king of the Amalekites. Just when it seems that our flesh is conquered and we are free from its terrible influence, those hidden areas of our flesh, the wrong belief and unbelief that has been concealed deep in our soul, shows its ugly face and once again tries to destroy our lives. Yahweh has sworn Yahweh will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. This was a promise upon which we can always bet our lives. Amalek, a metaphor for our flesh, will always be a target of God's wrath and vengeance. And this is a powerful, albeit a very scary promise. When we come to accept the truth that our Amalek opposes God in everything, and is motivated to destroy us, to keep us from reaching that place of unrestrained freedom, the promised land, we can be sure that Yahweh Nisi contains a powerful promise of victory, freedom, and peace, albeit through all-out war. Therefore, what does it mean to live by faith and to bet our lives upon the name Yahweh Nisi? The beauty of our relationship with God is that it is based 100% on grace or 100% on what God does for us and not what we do for him. What he requires from us is relational reciprocation, simply the willingness to let him cause us to believe. By the way, this is the reason Jesus could say with a straight face that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. For most of us, it has never felt light nor easy. But that is usually because we have loaded ourselves up with religious burdens of our own creation, burdens that he never asked us to carry. All he wants is our willingness to let him do his work in and through our lives. Therefore, to bet our lives on Yahweh Nisi, 
He simply asks us to declare that we want only the banner of Yahweh to fly over our lives. In other words, we are willing to let him have his war against our Amalek. The rest will be up to him. It will be his war. He knows every crack and crevice in our soul where warriors of Amalek hide and where they've dug in. He knows how to rout them out. For our part, we must not let our heart be overcome with fear, and we must let him have his war. The truth is, we have no power to remove our own banners which fly over our lives, as they are an embedded part of our flesh. They represent all the various aspects of our old sinful nature which are rooted in self-reliance and personal idolatry of the me. Besides, since our heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked, like Saul, we would be fully convinced that what needs to die needs to live and what needs to live needs to die. This is not a war we are equipped to fight. But if we are willing, Yahweh will wage his war against our flesh. And over time, we will begin to see his banner fly proudly over areas of our life where our own banners are removed one by one. He will literally pull down and burn up those old worthless banners. And painful as the process may be, we will come to know safety, security, victory, and joy in each area of our life where his banner, Yahweh Nisi, flies. We will also come to know his peace, for we will not be constantly antagonized by our Amalek. Our enemies, they will no longer be able to rule us and control us, no matter who they are, seen or unseen. How glorious is that? Yes, the removal of each banner will demonstrate to all our enemies, both seen and unseen, that we have learned why we can trust Yahweh Nisi and how to trust Yahweh Nisi as he becomes our rallying place, our refuge, our place of safety, and our victory. After all, if we call on his name, we will be saved, for there is much power in the name when it is accompanied by faith. Therefore, we should let him have his war. He will get the work done, and though it may be brutal, as in the tale of the book of Esther, we will likewise be more than victors in this world as we fly the banner of Yahweh Nisi over our life. Romans eight thirty six through 39 just as it is written, for your sake we are be- being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May we always be willing to let the Spirit cause us to fly the banner of victory over our lives. Yahweh Nisi. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.